Hi folks, a bit of housekeeping before we start the podcast. This You're getting this podcast almost immediately, the same time as our patrons, because the story involved with Finnafall TD, Robert Troy, is so timely uh, and an exclusive with the conversation with the journalists who have revealed it, Owen McNeil and Roman Shorthall, so we just thought we'd put it out straight away. Uh, but if you do like the work we do, if you think it has value, if you think you get something out of it, then give something back. And how you do that is you join us on patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack, and for the price of a fancy cup of coffee, it's five fifty a month. You get access to over a thousand podcasts without these pleas, the plea-free version, uh, and all of our back catalogue. Lots of exclusives, stuff that doesn't go out on on general release, and uh, tons of extras in, ter- in terms of interaction with the various hosts on the podcasts. Uh, please consider joining us; it would really, really help. Uh, it's patreon.com forward slash tortoiseshack. And have a listen to what is a very, very interesting story around cultural problems and ethical dilemmas. Thanks for the support. Enjoy the podcast. Hello and welcome to the Echo Chamber podcast. My name is Tony Groves and less formalities today. We have a lot to get through and a limited time to get through them. So uh, without further ado, I am delighted to be joined for the first time on the Tortoise Shack by co-founders of The Ditch, uh, Owen McNeil and Roman Shorthold. Uh, Owen and Roman, it's, it's good to see your faces. How are you keeping? Oh, good, Tony. Thanks very much for having us. No, appreciate it. And, and Roman, you've been on before, but that, that was in under a different guise when we were discussing. Actually, you know what? Funnily enough, it was probably a, a way into this kind of world that you that you find yourself now. Some of the, the the digging that you ended up doing in those in in those areas. Anyway, first of all, before we start, if listeners aren't familiar, uh, Owen, who are you guys, and what's and what's what's on the ditch doing? So we're the ditch. We've been going for just over a year. We are an investigative news outlet. Um, over the last year, what we've tried to do, what we've aspired to do, is publish stories, possibly that mainstream outlets, uh, for whatever reason, don't want to publish or can't publish. We always aspire to. We aspire that all our that all of our reporting is actually new stuff. That's generally they're a result of just a lot of digging um we don't really cover you know everyday statements or um everyday happenings we try to always as we said before kind of all killer no filler and over the last year yeah look we've had a few hits a few misses uh certainly over the last um four months or so now i suppose um we've got a fair bit of traction over our reporting about the goings-on with onboard planola Mm. and yeah i guess that's um that's kind of what we do like we like we try to show how power operates here in ireland um well okay we uh, uh, you've actually undersold the work that you did on on board planala but i think that's also a case for many small media outlets effectively that there is it's very hard to to make that story and there does seem to be you know, uh, I've found a culture of gatekeeping when it comes to some of these issues whereby, you know, the, sometimes the source matters of where the story breaks rather than the actual story. And we've seen where that that means, you know, things don't percolate up as much. Do you find uh, it's it's easier to to actually say it's not as much of a story because it's it's a small startup? Yeah, I mean, we've spoken a bit about it. We found it uh, with some of the stories that we published. I mean, for example, we launched yeah just over a year ago with a story about Michal Martin attending a prohibited event that was honouring his late father down in Cork. And what we find quite funny about it was 
the evening before we published, I I was getting phone calls from the government press secretary, Paul Clarkson, formerly uh, managing editor of The Sun. And, you know, it was a good Friday and there were three kind of like late night phone calls. And I could see that he understood the significance of the story, the veracity of the story and the problems that Michal Martin would would find himself in once we published. We did find, having published, there was a little bit of mainstream pickup, but there certainly was, from certain quarters, um, a sort of a reluctance to take the story on face value because we're just a ditch, you know? Like, um, Yeah, I've I got to ask the question because it's fair. It's a fair question. We, it's one of the things I cop, have to cop to all the time, which is quite funny. The first time, for long-time listeners will be aware of this, but most wouldn't. When there was one of the first earliest um, uh, Dublin podcast festivals, we were uh, we did a live show myself and Martin uh, and one of our guests. We had uh, Professor PJ Drudy, but we also had Paddy Cosgrave at the time, and uh, and immediately uh, that that got us a lot of attention in other ways that we didn't actually anticipate. You know, there it it, it came with this negative thing of oh they're attached to to Paddy Cosgrave. You guys are very definitely uh, attached to Paddy Cosgrave. How do you how do you find that? Um, is that is that something that you think that there's a immediately uh, puts you down in 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 the estimation of some of the the journalists that you may be you may be in touch with? Some people. I mean, I've got to say that. A lot of a lot of Irish media, I think, are um, and the people who populate who populate it, the actually good journalists are they are pragmatic and they're generally quite realist about things. Um, we found that like media um, don't really care about all that stuff um, as long as the story is good and as long as the story is all correct. That kind of thing that you're talking about, yeah, like there are, you know, like headbangers on Twitter, basically, who like will kind of write us off because of that. But, you know, um, I guess that's their prerogative to do so. And I I think that, look, if they're not going to, if, if, if they're not going to accept what we're writing and what we're publishing, that's all fact-based and we haven't been proven wrong on anything so far. If they're not going to accept that because of what they deem to be an unsavory connection or whatever, well then, you know, like what can you do about that? I guess, you know, I'm not, I'm not asking you to justify it. I'm simply pointing at something that I, that whether, you know, I mean, I, I put up something recently. Uh, I, I went into uh, listeners will know I went in and uh, appeared on the Talking Bollocks podcast, which is in which is run by Bauer. And I walked in, and one of the producers said to me, hey, "Was gone? Can I get you anything?" I said, "A glass of water, please." I said, "That's if the water's safe to drink in Evil Ink." And you know, so so you know, we all have our opinions of of, of different outlets, and I, you know, my, I certainly don't don't think I'd I'd be comfortable in a in an environment like Bauer Media, but you know, you guys, so we each to each your own. Roman, I want to ask you though about on board Panala before we come to something even more timely, but the the work that you guys did and digging and exposing, well, what I can say is, you know. Matters that anybody looking at, you wouldn't fit, you wouldn't pass a fitness and probity uh, assessment in any workplace that means, are you a fit and proper person to do that role? Because there seems to be so much um, vested interests, uh, looking after themselves, familial relationships, uh, friendships. And it was, and it's not, 
it's not at all uh, controversial for me to say what what looks like to what looks clearly like malfeasance at the core of a lot of these decisions how first of all how long went into exposing all of this and what sort of uh, reaction did, did you expect and first and then did you think you've gotten as much as you should yeah um it was a funny one like when we started off um looking into just one board member who is no longer a board member now as you know paul hyde um i don't think either of us really expected that it was going to turn into the kind of monster <laughs> that it turned into. Um, I mean, even with the first story, like some some weeks at the start, like around kind of the end of March, April, you'd be working like 60, 70 hours a week, both of us just to, 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 to dig and to get the information that we needed, um, you know, for the, for the first couple of stories. Um, but after that, I mean, What's what started out, I suppose, as an issue with just one board member, it it, it seems now, um, and I think it's fair to say that it's more of a cultural issue. So, I mean, it may not be the case that, you know, all board members have behaved the same way as Paul Hyde, but there certainly are serious issues there. Um, you know, some of the some of the uh stories that we've we've covered relating to other board members uh, haven't got as much media pickup i suppose as um the, in, the initial in, in, in fairness we've just spent maybe the first 10 minutes on talking about the the mainstream reaction to the work you guys did but like it's fair to call out the likes of keenan brennan in the examiner i know mick clifford wrote pieces as well in the examiner that were very uh based, you know, and credited to you guys for the work that you did and bringing this to the public's attention. So, you know, it, 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 that not to not to say that there isn't a knock in, in certain aspects, but certainly I do think, yeah, but the other thing is, though, what was interesting I found was the minister, uh, Dara O'Brien's reaction was kind of, you know, well, we, we've ordered this investigation. It's into this specific aspect of it. And we don't really want to look at what you refer to as the wider cultural, uh, well, the, 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 it, it was framed in such a way as that they're going to deal with that aspect of it, not necessarily other stuff that has come to light as as in even in the last few weeks or as you've been putting out more and more stuff and, and showing, you know, people objecting to things near their, their tennis club and, you know, all of this sort of stuff that that just sort of makes people think, you know, uh, it is a cultural problem within on board Planola and it does seem to be cozy is the phrase I'd use. Is that fair? Yeah, just to address the first thing you said, like um, about other journalists that covered us. I mean, I'd I'd be very comfortable saying that, you know, I don't think we would be where we are with the story if the likes of Keenan Brennan hadn't, you know, said, right, I'm just, you know, I'm going to take a punt on this, you know, and a lot of, and when I say take a punt, I mean, this, the, the, you know, it, the, all, all the the information that we put out there could be verified, but I think as as own you know kind of alluded to earlier on, there is maybe that reluctance from certain quarters to kind of you know run with with stuff that that we've published. Um, but yeah, Keenan uh, Keenan Brennan, you know he he I think he was the first to to publish one of the stories, and he's he's done a lot since then, and a lot of his own work especially around telecommunications masts. Um, and then just on the what, what you said about the about Darrell O'Brien, um, I, I think myself and Owen were both surprised um, 
as, as far as I can remember when we spoke about it, when he announced that there was going to be this um, uh, external independent report carried out by uh, Rami Farrell. And, you know, what, it, it was very sudden. And I, I think, like, even speaking to other people, I don't think that it was expected. You know, I, I think it was very sudden. And, yeah, I think, you know, one of the problems is that it was announced so quickly and the terms were so narrow that we're at a situation now where there are a lot of other issues that need to be investigated and they're not, as far as we know. Is there is there a connection that goes much higher up politically? Yeah, well, he's, um, like, he is a personal friend of Simon Coveney's. Um, Arthur Beasley was uh, in the Irish Times. He was, um, after Keenan, he was one of the other first mainstream guys to go and pick up the story. And he had it on the front page of the Irish Times one Saturday. And he did actually, he did get comment out of Simon Coveney um, for, you know, the, the kind of character of their friendship. And Coveney, I think he chose his words quite carefully. He said that, you know, that I think he, he tried to characterize it more as, you know, that they were acquaintances more than anything. But, you know, certainly um, the two men, like they they owned a racing yacht together. Their respective wives used to um, socialize quite regularly at like sailing events down in Cork. We've a number of sources would have told Why is it always sailing? Why is it always sailing? <laughs> Red jackets, of course, you know. Um, a number of sources that we've spoken to as well would would characterize the friendship as a very close one, but it's one that Simon Coveney's only statement on the matter since the story started breaking about Paul Hyde was to Arthur Beasley in the Irish Times, and it was a kind of a, you know, ah, we're kind of mates, but not really kind of thing. Mm. We had that previously, Martin, you'll remember, uh, was it uh, Leo Radker and, and uh, Dr. Matthew O'Toole said, he's not really a friend of mine. Yeah, uh, it's, it's Phil Hogan in the mix. Did I see Phil Hogan in the mix there somewhere? Did his name pop up? Um, Phil Hogan appointed Simon, uh, appointed Paul Hyde to on board Planla. Um, he also has, um, his uncle is Paul Coughlin, who was a Fine Gael senator, um, a veteran Fine Gael senator who... Um, uh, he actually shot like Seamus Wolf attended the Golfgate event as Paul Coughlin's guest, actually. And yeah, a couple of the stories we've done involved Paul Hyde signing off and planning permission for Paul Coughlin's son, um, John Paul Coughlin. Um, so his his cousin, yeah, and then. His parents would have had um, connections with the local uh, Fine Gael common uh, in their time as well. He's kind of a little bit of a Fine Gael blue blood, to be yeah, honest. Yeah, but a lot of people just say, and I can hear them already saying it to the to to while well, they're listening to this. That's connected people um, use their use their connections, you know, same in all all uh, walks of life. You know, that's the kind of that's that's what makes the world go round. But uh, you know, it shouldn't be in the case of. A, an organization that's making planning decisions uh, that we're supposed to be, you know, when we keep hearing all of this rhetoric around one of the big crises for um, the the country in housing is 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 the is the birth of the NIMBY and the well the 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 the, the nonsense around NIMBYism. Well, NIMBYs, yeah, <laughs> drives me mad. All that stuff. Yeah. yeah. 
I don't, I, I don't think that argument, Tony, um, you know, holds really when you consider, okay, you know, people will say that they've, you know, that that's how it is. And, you know, you work your way up and, you, you know, you're bound to have those sort of connections or whatever. That's fine. But in this case, he, he, he broke the, the code of ethics at on board Planola. So it's not just a case of having connections. It's a case of actually, you know, agreeing to be appointed as a board member, taking on the role. Um, you know, it's very well remunerated. Mm. Um, I think he was on 140 grand a year as deputy chairperson. So I think at the very least, you know, people would expect that you would follow the code of ethics uh, associated with that role. What's was this floating around in the ether and nobody picked it up or was it that you guys uh, got some inkling or tip off that there was, I mean, was it generally ignored by other people, this story? I mean, I, I mean, one of the sources for one of our stories had said that, yes, that they had, um, they had pitched this to some Irish media, but the Irish media that they pitched to at the time, didn't think it was a story, didn't particularly grasp the significance of it. Um, Roman got a tip uh, about Board Planola and once we started looking into it, yeah, I, am, I don't know, I guess, I guess sometimes, as Roman said, we were quite surprised at the level of pickup and the level of, and the level of interest and traction. But, you know, some, sometimes, you know, things come together, I guess, and it kind of, you know, like uh, it, it, it can catch a little spark and catch people's imagination, I guess. And then I think that once we kind of got that first bit of pickup, then, you know, then other mainstream guys like yeah. Prime Time, the Irish Times, the Examiner, et cetera, et cetera, then kind of go, oh, right, okay, so yeah, there's a little bit of... Um, I think it's funny, though, you mentioned Golfgate and how, uh, you know, that, that captured the country for two weeks solid, you know, like it was it was an everyday uh, thing like that. Whereas, and again, not to make light of the lads in Golfgate and what they did, but the, it, we talk about the culture. And when you mentioned what hap- what we've seen and on, bo- on board Pranala, we know that this is something that actually has much more of an impact in society across across the board. And speaking of ethics, Roman... Um, you covered a story recently about uh, Fianna Fáil TD Robert Troy, uh, and there's also a development on that. Uh, and I don't know if yourself or our own want to, to, to tell us about it, but um, here's a here. This is something that I've just I've been made aware of now by by the work you guys have done. And I think um, personally, when you mention ethics, this would this would fall into the category of I would say. Uh, if I was an employer, I'd be like, "That's a breach of ethics, surely." Do you want to give us a, a, a heads up on what on what you guys have exposed? I let on uh, go through it. He he's been working on uh, the second story, or well, it's the third story now. <laughs> story three, as you call it. Yeah. So I mean, last week we published a story about Fianna Fáil Minister of State Robert Troy who represents Longford Westmeath. He in it. Um, he bought a house from the um, from the Criminal Assets Bureau back in 2005, and then he sold it to Westmeath County Council in June 2018. And now he sold it for it was um, 230 grand, and this was the record fee for any house that was ever sold in that particular estate. Now 
the relevant ethics legislation requires any TD who enters into a contract for goods of a value more than six and a half grand, they have to declare that in the doll register. Now, Robert Troy didn't do that, you know, so um, he didn't do it. And what happens sometimes with us is that uh, we'll publish a story and the subject of a story won't respond to our request for comment. And this is what happened in this case. Um, but the day after we published, uh, Troy was, he was on with Philip Boucher Hayes on RTE and Philip asked him about this and he had, um, he had his explanation and he did the usual thing of, you know, he said, he said it was for the greater good because he sold it for what he got for it. And he used, and it's gone to social housing now. And sure. I'm in the middle of a, a housing crisis and, and I, I actually deserve a gold star and no homework for this, Philip. I don't know what this line of questioning is, is, is pointing at. Exactly. Yeah. And he did the usual thing of, you know, um, thank you very much for allowing me the opportunity to explain this. Now, unfortunately for Robert, what he didn't do you know, if he was so grateful for the opportunity to explain that, there was another very similar uh, um, property sale that he engaged in. The, this was back in 2019. He effectively did the exact same thing. He bought it, it's it's a it, it's a four bedroom house in um, in County Longford. He bought it for eighty two and a half grand in May, and then in August of that year. He sold it to uh, Longford County Council for 163 grand. So three months and almost twice the price that uh, he paid for it. Now we have. He also um, <laughs> he also bought the house initially from a Fianna Fáil colleague of his, a guy called Bill Collentine, who is a councillor in Westmeath. We we've spoken to. Uh, well, like Roman spoke to Bill there this morning and Bill confirmed um, uh, the sale of the property to Robert Troy. He said that the house was in very poor condition when he sold it to him, but he wouldn't comment on who carried out the um, the renovations and all that before Troy sold it to um too long for county council. Jesus, Roman um, Jeremy Renner doesn't flip houses like that, and uh, you know, and he's 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 famous for it. Like you know, that's three three months and 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 doubling doubling your money. It seems. Uh, it's, I mean, it's, it's quite impressive. Oh, um, yeah, I'd, I'd say you could nearly have Robert presenting his own, you know, location, location, location show or something, or, or you know, along those lines. Um, I mean, yeah, we spoke to the previous owner, who is a, a Fianna Fáil uh, councillor, naturally. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, he 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 won't he won't confirm even if there was any renovations. Um, I think what's interesting is that, and it's just a kind of a little side nugget, like that the when the property was first advertised in two thousand and seventeen, it was advertised, I think, for sixty nine thousand. And the description said that it was in poor condition, but that there were tenants in situ. So, I mean, but like what, what this councillor described was, you know, leaking ceilings and stuff like that. But seemingly uh, it, it was good enough for, uh, for for people to live there, you know, as long as they were renting. Do you guys find it frustrating that as you're breaking this stuff, they go into a cycle or into a defense mode where everything is kicked out, where there has to be 
reports, investigations, a dozen people have to talk. And literally what they're trying to do is kick out anything for years and years so that no answers come forward. Do you find that frustrating? Yeah, sure. I mean, I kind of, um, what we found without wanting to go down the route of kind of saying that, you know, every politician and every public figure is a liar or like whatever else, um, I wouldn't go that far, but I, I, we've certainly found that when when you have stories like this and you ask people for for a comment, we've certainly always seen that it's this kind of process where they'll try to find out, you know, what you know, and then and then and then they'll try to figure out from that what's the least that they can say just to kind of get away with things. Um, Effectively, which is, you know, um, I would think, like, I would say that's what Robert Troy did when he was on with Philip Boucher Hayes, where he introduces this kind of thing of, he said, like, oh, I wasn't actually required to de- declare who I sold the property to when it's completely irrelevant, you know, and you do kind of get that. You do get, and then certainly in the case of, of Onboard Planola, which, um, which both Roman and Tony have kind of, um, have, have kind of spoken about there is that thing of yeah like dara brown very quick to announce remy farrell's report a report that is only is only covering um a very small number of the stories that both we and um and people like the irish examiner have since published and it does kind of almost seem like on, on top of that we don't know you know if or when the report will actually be published and then there is this certain thing of it's almost like well paul paul Hoyt is already gone so uh you know that 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 is it that is one of like we've seen this play before martin you were already engaged in a situation where you had two committees um both telling different stories uh, uh you three, know and, yeah committees. do you know what i mean and you know what what how that how that operates and the idea is um is to is to kick the can down the road i, I do want to come back to the robert troy story because i think it's actually incredible that we, or simply put i would be really want to hear how he can tell us why how this happened how he doubled his money in 3 months how he bought it from a colleague and how and how and how he for, how he didn't declare it again i'd love to hear his version of events because right now anything i say is speculation but but as again go back to what i said when we started this podcast if you're, you want to be a fit and proper person to hold a, a certain office, you should be actually adhering to certain fit and proper rules. We talk about ethics. I just, I think it casts all of that into doubt, especially since, as Owen quite rightly points out, he had an opportunity to tell that story as well when he was speaking to Philip Boucher Hayes. And he has, I believe, to both of you, declined to comment uh, still. Yeah, um, we have asked him to... Um to comment he has um as as we speak now he has missed that deadline um we'll see if he does come back to us with comment later on today is there is there a sanction at the end of it i mean is there a possible sanction at the end of it for Robert troy or is it just uh, lessons will be learned no this it's quite interesting actually in that the 1995 Ethics Act, which deals with, uh, you, you, like, you have to remember that there are different rules that apply to ministers, but he wasn't the minister at the time. He was a TD. And the the rules that do apply to TDs, which is the 95 uh, Ethics Act, there is no punishment. So what happens is you can make a complaint to SIPO, and SIPO will investigate it, and it's basically a, a rap on the knuckles. 
Um, on the other hand, which is quite interesting, if a councillor um, doesn't declare um, their assets under the, I think it's the 2001 Local Government Act, um, as far as I know, there is a, a, a sanction for that. It, it, you can be prosecuted um, for failing to do so. But for some reason, whatever way the legislation was drafted for TDs, there's no punishment. It's um, it, Again, I suppose... The only punishment, and, and we'll all attest to this, is if people were to get outraged and, and the court of public opinion turned on. Like, I mean, we remember the famously, again, going back to Golfgate, where um, people were, you know, they thought they could wait it out, but it became a, a pace where, where it caught the public's attention. The the resignation started to flow fairly fairly fast then, but it took it took a while. Most people dig in and, and they, they they stick it out. Can I, can I just... Um, Go back to if we can go full circle on this again. So this story now, you've you've uh, the, the last time it was broke, you broke the story about Robert Troy. It did also travel. I think I saw it in the Independent. I saw it uh, in, in in other publications. Do you think this is going to get the same sort of treatment that that it will be picked up by the mainstream and and that maybe uh will we, you know, this is because this is effectively two strikes in two weeks. It's so hard to say, you know. Um, and I guess myself and Roman, uh. We never like to get, you know, too far ahead of ourselves and things, you know, like, but certainly, yeah, on, on the face of it, yeah, I think it's, um, it's the kind of story that if I were in a main, if I were in a mainstream newsroom, I'd, I'd certainly be pushing my editor to kind of, to kind of go and follow it up. But, um, I guess with all these kind of things, um, you're, you're just kind of hoping that like lightning strikes, I guess, a little bit when you go and hit publish and, you know, sometimes you'll get a hit sometimes, Maybe it doesn't take off all that much, but we'd be hopeful, yeah, that there will be interest and pickup. You, you do actually. Well, I mean, when you look at the planning one, you guys pushed it for quite a while before it got picked up. So it's not that you just hit publish and walk away. Um, if it's not picked up, you come back and you work it again and again and again until somebody does pick it up. Is there an element with that with Troy as well, that if you keep pushing it, somebody may pick it up? Yeah, yeah. I mean, um, I would think that you know the what we're calling this, you know, is uh, you know this is like Troy Story three now at this stage. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's the fact that um, you know it's the facts and the principles of the story are just so similar to the last one, and he, you know, as we've said, he kind of he fudged the opportunity to actually address it, you know? So I would, I would think, yeah, that, um, you know, there's going to be this one. And then without, you know, wanting to give too much away, there are myself and Roman feel that there are further questions he needs to answer about the earlier sale to Westmead County Council. So there could be more to come on that as well. And it, could there be more to come with uh, besides just Robert? Is this could this be more of a widespread practice? Yeah, that is the you know it's the well, you're kind of veering into speculation, I suppose. But um, uh, you know whether or not well, look, it's either one of two things. I think it's fair to say that in, in both of these instances, we have an example in Robert Troy of a politically connected insider um, profiting from 
property sales to local authorities, whether or not, I mean, it's it's plausible that it happens elsewhere, certainly. It, it's either just one example or it is more widespread, but we haven't looked into that just yet. Okay. I think it's important to mention as well, not to forget, um, I think it was Ken Fox's story in February about the FOI records for the, the other property deal that, that Robert Troy involved with, with um, Westmead County Council, where he himself and Joe Dolan's uh, nephew, I believe, were trying to flog four apartments uh, above a shop to the council for about for around a million um, now, e- even the internal records that were released showed that even the Department of Housing were asking, you know, why are you paying a million for these four flats when, you know, I think the word they used was that there's an abundance of these type of um, apartments available in Mullingar. Um, you know, I mean, I think I think in, in, in a lot of other countries that, you know, first of all, people would say, like, how appropriate is it during a housing crisis for a minister to be, um, you know, selling property to the state? Like, it, it just, it, it, it seems mad. Can, can, sure. I, can I say, can I point out something that's really, really obvious to me? Um, we're seeing at the moment, they're saying in the next budget coming, they're going to have incentives for landlords. And I know, Martin, you're a big supporter of that. But um, outside of you, most people understand that that's actually not a great idea. Um, but if you factor in, say, so they've already committed an additional an additional 450 million uh, this year for um, what what they call long term leases. So essentially going to maybe a bill to rent or, or a, a landlord and, and offering them a money for old rope. The 450 million, the tax credit to landlords, the the subsidy, the, which is in effect a subsidy. Then they're saying a credit to um, renters, another way of another subsidy, factoring the HAP payments in that as well. And it would actually work out cheaper for the state to buy those properties because I worked out that at the rate of landlord landlords leaving the market, it's about 2,200 homes we could buy this year. Okay, that would actually. Tony, to interrupt you, I, I ju- just to say, I think it depends who they're buying the properties from, because obviously, if you're buying them from Robert Troy, you're probably this, not getting good value from. I, I, it's, but this is my point. Like, so, so they won't do it. They're saying the state are saying we won't do it. We'll actually rather subsidize rents and pay uh, tax credits to landlords. But when it was one of their own, happy to buy it off them and 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 do it that way. So I mean, I'm not trying to. I'm not making a false equivalence here. This is actually playing out in real time. You guys have exposed it. And the Tarnished is telling everybody who listened that he's going to come up with a new deal for, for landlords in, in the upcoming budget. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He himself is a landlord uh, as well. So, I mean, we have got a huge problem whereby people are able to vote on things that they can financially benefit from themselves. Uh, I know I've gone off on a tangent there, but it's just, you know, it's just been something that I do think people listening to this or reading your pieces should understand that you know when people it's not conspiracy theory stuff to say that this stuff is happening because there it is that's it and as the phrase we use on this podcast over and over martin gets annoyed at me is what is it martin the crime is what's legal what's legal Mm -hmm. i i I don't think like you know and and i'm not kind of um suppose it is a criticism but like I think anyone covering a story like that about, um, you know, what the Tarnished has said about giving tax credits to landlords. I mean, I think if you're writing an article like that and you're not saying in the piece that 
Leo Varadkar is a landlord himself, then I think that that, that, that particular, those pieces lack uh, credibility. I think that's right across the board, Roman. We see it with Brandon on a Saturday and a Sunday. We see it in all the chat shows that people are put up. A name is given, but the connections behind that. I mean, nobody gets out of bed at 11 o'clock or 10 o'clock on a Saturday morning to do an RT talk show without having some vested interest in having their arse in the studio. It's that simple. And the vested interest should be called out. It should be named at the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I've I've seen I've seen situations like where, you know, people are writing um, articles for, say, the Irish Times, and on a particular subject, and there's nothing at the bottom of the article saying, you know, this person is, you know, an investor in riots or, do you know what I mean? Like, is involved in the institutional property investing network or whatever. All of yeah. these things. I mean. If uh, if we put something like that up, Martin, it'd have to be we'd have to we we'd, we'd say advertorial, <laughs> and then we'd say yeah, then we'd say and by the way, it's going to cost you thousands because you know like there's just these things are are insane. They are insane. There's this line. Um, there's a French philosopher. Uh, he's like called Roland Barth, and he has this line something about the bourgeoisie. He says it's like the class that dare not speak its name, you know, and and it is this thing of. Um, certainly in government, even aside from the kind of the kind of explicit individual instances of someone of someone like Robert Troy benefiting from these property deals, of someone like Lever Acker being a landlord, it's about the class composition uh, of the doll and who they represent. You know, like landowners, landlords, but this isn't really ever spoken about or kind of made explicit, and. I'm not sure how you would do that with like a dull register, <laughs> but like, you know, it is something that is just always left unsaid. Class Omerta. <laughs> I do. I do remember Simon Coveney saying that there was uh, we shouldn't be bringing class into politics in Ireland. And I really did expect a bolt of lightning to hit him. But he did say it. He said we shouldn't be bringing class into politics. But our class, our politics is so class driven, class riven. Um, it's very difficult to know how you can how you can identify class fairly in the Doyle. It's very difficult to know. And you can't if thirty eight percent of most of them are landlords, and you know, and in some parties it's higher than that. So it's very hard. Listen, lads, I, I'm conscious of time. I appreciate you uh, talking to us this 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 afternoon, as it is now, and I know you have a story to hit publish on. Um, can I just ask you one one last time? So first of all, before we we go, how, where do people find you guys? How do they support your work? And then on the, on the flip side, uh, Martin would always wants to always ask, have you anything else coming that you can give us? An yeah, I was just going to ask that. Come on, guys, a couple of te- a couple of little insider stories. What's coming up? Just give us a little idea. Sure. Yeah. Um, you can find us at um, on the ditch.com. We are on Twitter at we're on the ditch. Um, you can support our work. We we do accept donations on our website, just like one-off donations. If you feel our work is of value, um, um, you you can do that. And then, as far as tips go, um, we've got we're yeah. Without giving too much away, we're looking to um, start doing a bit of coverage on some of the mica scandal. Um, we also believe it or not. Uh, there is still more to come 
on board Planola and we're going to see how that's, you know, how it kind of, how it plays out into the autumn. And then aside from that, it's really uh, any powerful people up to no good. <laughs> well, and just to add, we're, to add that we're looking, we're looking into doing a big investigation into Tony's secret property assets. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I tell you, I, it is. A, it's mostly in West Cork. But, uh, <laughs> Roman and Owen, thanks very much for coming on. Thanks very much for having this conversation, Roman. It's lovely to see you again. Haven't seen you in a while, buddy. You too, Martin. Yeah, and nice to have the conversation with you guys and keep up the good work. Thank you. Thanks very much, love. Thanks for listening, folks. Do do check out the story when it hits. The only way it gets anywhere is is in that court of public opinion. And the uh, next podcast is uh, those. Have you seen the, the two lads, the comedy Joe exploding heads on Twitter? Talking to them tomorrow, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, another one of those where it's this is just me wanting to nerd out with two lads who do political satire really, really well. Talk to you all very soon. Take care. Bye bye. Tony and Martin, Martin and Tony. Speaking to interesting people only, it's the Echo Chamber Podcast. Subscribe now on Patreon.